Just leave it to me. I was the pilot of the gun. listening to the show that's so good it makes you want to bright slap your moms that's right it's gundam at mahq episode oh eight God. and on today's oh episode we're going to be talking about well the first segment will be about gundam seed and ways that it can be fixed uh you may think it'd be you may think it's perfect or you may think it's impossible but we have some solutions and i hope you're i hope you're riveted next we have an anime spot don't treat us too harshly that's yes. right <laughs> don't let feelings us. too <laughs> Keep the pitchforks and and uh, torches and torches away. That's right. Just 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 hold them at bay for a moment <laughs> and just hear us out. <laughs> and also in the second segment we have anime spotlight and we're spotlighting Megazone Twenty Three. It's a great show and I look forward to you guys hearing what we have to say on it and look forward to hearing what you have to say about it after we're done. Um, also we're we're gonna continue our Super Tomino Wars on the non Gundam based shows that um, Yoshiyuki Tomino has done throughout the years. But um, first, uh, we're here um, with me here in the studio is Neo. And also podcasting live from Miami is Chris. That's right. <laughs> and um, I'm going to pass the I'm going to pass the mic off to Neo for his news. And uh, I hope you guys are, are, are duly informed. And here they are. It's fresh off the press. Got, got a couple little news stories. I'm sure most people already know this. And my uh, news is actually coming from two different places today. Oh, uh, yeah. It's Anime News Network. Oh, variating. And uh, ENN. Oh, snap. And um, courtesy of uh, Always de Ganada. So, or Ganoda. <laughs> um, but the first one, I'm sure a lot of guys out there already have, uh, a lot of anime fans have already know about this. But I guess uh, the people from AD Vision uh, had said that the February issue, 2008 issue of the New Type USA magazine will be the last one. Mm. Um, and really not saying too much about why uh, they're getting rid of it other than that there's uh, going to be a new um, new magazine that they're going to be bringing out sometime this year. Uh, and this was actually kind of interesting that um, it's, uh, it's uh, public, it's a uh, um, sales per month were about 50,000 to 75,000 copies per month. So uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. I, I thought is maybe it would be a little bit more than that. But is that a lot or a little for a magazine? I mean, for a magazine? Nah. Well, for an anime, it depends on, you know, the, what? the, the niche of, of, you know, anime magazine that costs 12 bucks. Yeah. And I'm sh- I do have a theory mm. about uh, the, the doom of new type. And that's two things. Um, one, one of the more frequent advertisers in uh, New Type was Genion. Mm, right. That's right. Which, of course, is, you know, gone to pasture. And then, uh, number two, uh, ADV licensed, you know, the New Type name and content from Karokawa Shoten. So it could be that um, less advertising revenue plus those licensing costs might have been cutting into um, the bottom line for ADV too much and prompted them to say, hey, screw this, we'll just. Yeah. Get our own, start our own magazine, and do everything in house, and we don't have to pay for the new type name, which really doesn't mean much in America anyway. That's true. Or all this other Japanese content, which people find on the internet anyway. 
So given the fact that you know they're extending people's subscriptions from new type, right, rolling it right into this new magazine, right. and that they're assuring advertisers that a new magazine is coming, um, I think it's basically just a name change and more in-house American writing yeah. uh, to cut costs and you know boost profits. And if that's if that's the deal, then uh, it's probably a good move on ADV's part. Exactly. Definitely. When I was collecting the magazine, it seemed like a big advertisement of um, what new shows are out in Japan and what new shows I could find to, um, uh, you know, to preview. <laughs> that are not here and that you can't buy here and exactly. You know, exactly. make any money for anime companies here. Exactly. So. Yeah, but uh, the first issue came out in November of 2002. and I still have that. It, has the, it had the Strike Gundam on Me it. Yeah. And uh, as of right now, there's been 60, 65 issues, and the 66, if if the final issue is the March issue, so um, it lasts about five years. So R.I.P. New Type USA. And this is a nice segue that we're going to be talking about uh, the Gundam Seed franchise uh, later on in the show. But um, anybody that's bought Volume 12 of Gundam Seed Destiny. Uh, you might want to contact and go to the Bandai-Entertainment.com uh, website because you've probably already noticed that there is a production flaw on that, and it's, I guess it's not playing. And in addition to Gundam Sea Destiny Volume 12, it actually hit the Eureka 7 Volume 11, Flag Number 2, Flag, yeah, and Mayatome Volume 4. Just so the Flag too. Yeah, so basically just uh, go to www.bandai-ent.com and they'll have all the exchange information of how to, um, if you've bought any of these DVDs, how to exchange them. And what's just funny because I bought, what was it, the second Ghost in the Shell movie a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and they had the same issue. There was something with the subtitles, and uh, all you had to do was just go. They were closed captions. Yeah, that's, that's right. Funny. They were closed captions. And uh, they just sent you a new disc. So uh, it was pretty easy. But now going to a lot of double zero or double O news. Oh, awesome. Um, there's, a, uh, there's been some scans that have come up for the double uh, zero Blu-ray disc that's going to be released this summer. And oh, yeah. God, I wish that. Oh. Yeah. So I, wish, I wish that was available here. Yeah. Hopefully and they come well, here. I'm, when I'm sure the it show. will. Um, well, here's here's a note for for fans who uh, you know like to import. Uh, with Blu-ray, this time America and Japan are actually the same region. Yeah. Oh my god. Because there's only three Blu-ray regions as opposed to what was it the seven regions yeah. of DVD. Awesome. Yeah. So, you know, you can import. Uh, you know, double O and stick it into your PS3 or whatever here and enjoy it in wonderful HD glory. The only problem is, of course, it's going to be <laughs> raw with no subtitles. So, anime yes. companies must be livid <laughs> about that. I would just well, I would I, love I, to have double O in, in, in Blu ray. It's just such a good looking show. So, oh, it is. keeping those fingers crossed that, uh, you know, now that the uh, Blu ray war. The format war seems to be in favor of Blu-ray that uh, once Double O inevitably comes here that it will also be released on Blu-ray. So keep those fingers crossed. Exactly. And if I'm you go you. to uh, Bandai Visual's site, they actually have uh, the, the cover of DVD number two, uh, which actually features our man Lock-On. Hey, so, hey. Um, and they're Not our man Saji? Not our man. No. Oh, man, that's no. coming. That's no. going to be the greatest cover what, ever. What? <laughs> 
What's he gonna be? What's gonna be in the, be? In the, in the pizza uniform? In pizza uniform with with Louise's mom like filling him up or something. <laughs> with him in the apron. And 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 Louise standing in the corner like with her arms crossed like like all pissed off. Yeah. With and a, with a sitting ch- on the couch saying to him, "What am I doing here? Please kill me now." <laughs> yeah. With 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 Louise's cheeks so pouty. Yep. <laughs> anyway. But uh. If you go to uh, uh, there's a story um, on GameSpot Japan, and of course it's in Japanese, but it's dealing with the new Double Zero DS game. Awesome! Uh, but there's a lot of cool screenshots. Took a look at those, and anybody that's interested in that game, and just like Chris said with the Blu-ray, I know the DS games um, you can play into the American DSs. So. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, so uh, I'm sure at some point somebody will do translation guides, maybe on GameFAQs or something, so yeah. you can import the game and uh, use a translation fact and just try to work through it. And on the actual official site for the Gun of Double Zero DS, yeah. uh, they, have, um, they have a promotional video that I actually watched today. Game looks great. Um, I'm really impressed on how a lot of these games for the DS are starting to look yeah, in addition to uh, the Gundam Double Zero. Second but, uh, generation of the DS is looking really impressive starting yeah, with that Zelda re- game that came out. But yeah, this uh, that game, I, I have to see the screenshots. I, I, I can't wait to see how good it's going to look. Um, and we hadn't had these in a while, but uh, episode 13 for Gundam Double Zero uh, got a 5 Five point zero percent. So it still seems like it's hanging around that five, yeah. four and a half, five percent. So I guess that's good, meaning that it won't get canceled yeah, anytime it's, soon. For its time slot, hopefully that's good enough. It's, I don't think it's going to get One Piece ratings, or like thirteen point nine and whatnot. But you know, it's it, been on the air since nineteen ninety nine. So exactly. And the manga is also one of the top manga series mm-hmm. in Japan. So it's it, really it's a hard comparison. to beat. But speaking of ratings, uh, I think you have another story about. Um, Gundam Prophets. Yeah, that was oh, how yeah. you read my mind on this. I felt the tingle. That's what I do. I felt the tingle. You, you heard the new type. Yeah, t- I was like, ding. <laughs> but um, <laughs> on the on the Nikkei Net, uh, they reported that the financial results for the Sosu Agency uh, from September to November of 2007, and that was basically their quarter, uh, showed a profit of 663 million yen, of uh, 51% from the same time period the year before. Uh, one of the factors that's been uh, that was stated for the increase was the start of the Gundam Double Zero uh, on TV and a lot of advance orders at uh, different events promoting the, a lot of the character merchandise. Wow. So there you go. Um, and I, on a side note on that, I was in one of our local hobby shops today and I got to see some of the Double uh, Zero models. And there is a 160 of the Exia. Yeah, and I that saw thing that. Is beautiful. I went to the same store. And, and they, have they have a 1100 of both the Exia and the Dynamis. Yeah. And uh, the models, the models keep getting looking better and better each time. Can't so. wait for the master grades, man. Oh, that's sweet. Down here, uh, down here, I've only seen it in one shop. They had um, the HCM Pros of Exia and Dynamis. Really? But that's it. So but they look pretty good too. Yeah, exactly. So uh, when I went to that hobby shop, they actually one of the guys behind the counter told me there is a uh, master grade of the uh, of the uh, the double O five coming, and under and it's going to be the it's going to be the uh, Natale and the um, I keep forgetting what the double O five is called. Virtue. It's uh, well, it's not going to be Virtu- a, a master Virtu- grade. They're probably referring it's to the one one hundred. One hundred. Yeah, it's not yeah. a master grade. It's supposed to be. It's just a one one hundred. It's supposed to be. Exactly. It's supposed to be both suits, though. Yes. You can you know, have the Natalie underneath it and the Virtue the virtue on the top. And I, I'm sure a lot of diehard model builders are going to buy both or buy buy two separate. Uh, two. You can pose them separately. Exactly. And just, just 
do two different models, but that's, that's what Bandai wants you to do. It's their reverse psychology. So definitely check those out. And one last, uh, one last little uh, Gundam-related uh, news story here. Get your wallets out. Yep. On uh, Famitsu, uh, they had the 100 best-selling video games of 2007, and this is in Japan, of course, and the Asian markets. Um, and there were six Gundam titles in the top 100. And number 45 was the SD Gundam G uh, Generation Spirits, 340,000 plus copies. Uh, Gundam Musou was number 50. AKA Dynasty Warriors Gundam. Was number 50 with about 300 plus sold. Uh, at 62 is Super Robot Wars W. Uh, 64, um, SD Gundam Generation Cross Drive. Uh, 71, I know we talked about this one, Another Century's Episode 3, The Final. And the last one was uh, the Gundam Battle Chronicle. So yep, which we've also talked about. Yep. So definitely, um, definitely, we're doing pretty well. And I was, I didn't have a chance to take a look at all the games on there, but I'm sure uh, the top ten are probably kind of identical to what we had here. <laughs> and some <laughs> of the ones are, I'm sure, some other uh, Japanese only. I don't know. There's some. There's probably some weird things like horse racing or pachinko that's number one over there. Yeah. Yeah. Probably <laughs> pachinko. But, um, so, and with that, that's the news. Well, there's one, one, one last bit of news I just want to lightly touch upon. Oh, um, yeah, I forgot about this one. I'm a, sorry. A, uh, yeah. Yeah, about a science website calculates the price of building a Gundam? Yeah, I f- forgot about this one. Oh I don't know if I was uh, subconscious. How can we forget, given that it's been mentioned on every, like, mech-related forum? Exactly. Yeah. In, like, a thousand <laughs> on, th- on science, there's a science portal arc- article that just kind of they kind of guesstimated how much it would cost to build a real Gundam. Their estimate, barring labor costs, special alloys, and any kind of flight capabilities, is anyone? Seven hundred and twenty-five million dollars. Yeah. So. And for reference, to give you like an idea on how that equates to the kind of crap that we have now, I believe that the cost of the F-22 Raptor, which is you know. Our latest generation mm-hmm. uh, fighter interceptor is about two hundred million dollars per unit. Yeah, well, per plane. So. And the, I, I think the most expensive one we had was the stealth bomber, which is two point like, two billion. Yeah, the F one seventeen. Yeah, yeah, but those are much more conventional in much less numbers. But uh, yeah, so it's if it's two hundred million dollars for uh, the Raptor, just imagine, you know, building a whole bunch of mobile suits. And this, mind you. As the article points out, this is a mobile suit on the cheap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, not really doing anything, you know, fancy like a Gundam. So maybe we're talking here something like more on the lines of a scope dog. No, no beam saver, just a heat hawk. You know, wow. barely moves. Probably God not even a heat hawk. Yeah, I was about to say, God forbid my tax dollars go to that. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> hey, better, better that than, uh, you know, a bridge to nowhere. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> they cost $200 million. <laughs> so, th- um, now the news is over with. Oh, well. All right. <laughs> and um, hey, you got to uh, listeners. You have to forgive us for the extra long episode of Gundam, but uh, I'm sure you'll still enjoy it. We we really go off a tangent on a lot of the um, topics we talk about tonight, but um, we'll definitely get into the first one, which will be the the oh, sorry Gundam Seed and how to fix it in just a few moments. You're listening to Gundam at MAHQ. Fever gun, damn ridiculous. 
Welcome back to Gundam. This is uh, one of your hosts, Neo. I'm joined here along with Chris and uh, Soulbro, and we're going to be going kind of a thing, kind of a topic that's a little interesting to us as we're kind of being a little uh, critical about <laughs> things, and we like to have some critical analysis, you know, good and bad, but we're going to kind of have a topic tonight that's entitled uh, Gundam Seed, one of the more popular Gundams shows out there, but uh, we're going to have a little subtext of uh, how to fix it. Oh. In our opinion, um, it needs fixing. Yeah, <laughs> not saying it was completely broken, but um, we're just going to kind of see some of the, some of the things that we would like done to maybe, or wh- what we would liked had done, so uh, it didn't kind of trail off like it did. So um, take it to the backyard and and put it out of its paint <laughs> behind the shed. I guess maybe the first thing we should do is just kind of say um, on maybe a, a, a one to five scale. Uh, what we kind of rated it, um, you know, in terms of that, and then we kind of go from there. Some thoughts of, uh, you know, how to fix this. I I enjoyed the first show. Um, I guess I guess when we're gonna be talking about this, we're talking about all three shows, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Destiny, Stargazer, and the first Gundam Seat. Okay. Yeah. So I think overall, uh, I give it about give it about three point seven five. Um, I think if it was just the original show on Stargazer, I'd probably be a little higher. Um, but for whatever reason, uh, Destiny really killed it. Uh, so, Ouch. Soul Bro, what would be? The original seed, I'd probably give it. I, I'd, I'd like that and Destiny about the same, so I'd probably give it a three. Okay. And I, I had a lot of misgivings about the show, but at the same time, it wasn't terrible. It <laughs> And it's it's not going to wing level, so <laughs> in my level, Ooh, I, yeah. I like going to wing. But looking back on it, I, I enjoyed seed more, so I'd have to I'd have to give it a little bit more. <laughs> Chris, <Or> Chris. <laughs> well, uh, just to be lazy, I'm going to look at my review average page here <laughs> on the site. Uh, seed overall, I gave a 3.46. Okay. Uh, special edition got a 3.33. Yeah, mm-hmm. I forgot about this. Uh, jumping down, uh, Destiny got a 3.31, <laughs> and Stargazer a 3.33. Okay. Really? Star- wow. Yeah, we just less episodes of Stargazer, so yeah, I guess. Yeah, since it's it's so much shorter, you know, yeah. a bad rating really I'd have to say, out of the, the three, I, I enjoyed Stargazer the most. It's only three I, episodes. Did, just the fact that it had a harder so, edge to it than in any of the other two shows. Safer for Break the World and Destiny, which is the best part of that show. But anyway. I guess we should start uh, chronologically and, and focus on, on the original seed and then hit up Destiny and then Stargazer. So That would be perfect. Uh, who wants to go first with uh, their thoughts about seed? Well, I enjoyed the show. I was I was watching it as it was coming out. Um, I, I kind of, I mean, I know it was a reimagining of what the original show was. Um, there's a lot of differences there. I like some of the things that they did do. I like the fact that they actually had the pilot get the girl for once. Um, yeah, that was a huge you thing know, too. They're, 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 then you had a, then you find out that you have a, uh, uh, an antagonist that was just purely evil. Yeah. There was nothing kind of, you know, there was no, nothing that was too hidden on a uh, Rolla Crusade. He was just a, just an evil man just for being evil. Man. He wasn't justified in anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I enjoyed the first show. I thought it was good. There, you know, there was certain parts of it that dragged. Um, you know, especially the um, the whole thing when Kira lost the strike and somehow he ends up in 
in uh, the plants. Thanks to Astray. Magically yeah. transports. Well, if you read one, you read one of the manga. Yeah. yeah, you read a manga, you find but, out how he is, how he gets I, I up can, there. I can already tell you about ninety percent of the American populace had no idea how he got there. Yeah, I mean, until <laughs> I read those mangas, I didn't know either. But by the way, um, speaking of astray, that's the best representation of seed. Period. But, um, <laughs> but that's my opinion, anyway. Uh, the battles were pretty good. Uh, it was very bloody. Um, you know, towards the end, they didn't really care about killing off people. Uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. I mean, the final battle between Kira and Rallo Crusade was a good battle. I think it's up there and one of the better of the Gundam fights, in my opinion. But um, they just kind of left a lot of loose ends. And, you know, I can understand where a lot of people would just get a little bored with it, especially some of the some of the the kind of the childish love triangle stuff was kind of silly. So that's my that's mine on the first seed. Soul bro, thoughts? Well, see, I, I have a love-hate relationship with that show, but for the most part, I, 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 I'm not too hard on it because, you know, it was supposed to be a reinvention of Gundam. Um, it took me a long time to watch the show. I mean, Neo really had to convince me to really watch it. <laughs> and uh, when one of my roommates actually bought the whole the whole DVD set, I started to sit down and watch it with him. And it, it after a while, I got into the groove of it, and there's that one point in the show where, you know, things actually start to escalate, and it becomes an enjoyable watch. And I, I started enjoying watching the show, and although still I just had a, a lot of misgivings. I, I, even though it's superficial to say, I, I wasn't too big on the art style. Uh, I, I, I don't know what it is about the kind of the doughy-eyed anime look, but I kind of, I kind of like the look of the older series. Even um, Turn A Gundam had a kind of a throwback look to, uh, to you know, what well, I'm a big Akiman junkie, so you know, it, 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 I guess that's why I like Turn A Gundam's um, art style, but. Hey, it took me a long time to get in the seed. And what, just, you mean you don't like a thousand characters who look identical a, except for their hair style? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that was big... What don't you like about that? It's, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> There's, there was really no main significance. It's like one of the characters that did look significant was like Psy. That was the character I liked the most in that show. And to see him get punked repeatedly. Why am I not surprised? Yo, no kidding. It was always the same. <laughs> Is that your man Psy Argyle? My man Psy Argyle, <laughs> man. <laughs> I was I was what so if, sad, but uh, I was so sad when it didn't show up in Destiny. But that, that's about, another story. And it's not uh, your man, Kuzey Buskirk. Oh no no, uh, another another dude with Kuzey right there. I hated that guy, Kuzey Buskirk. Uh, when he left the ship, it was a it was a blessing to everybody on board. Oh my god! I just wish he died on his way out. Oh I, wow! Well, I wish he would have too. Like he's just running through orb, and the battle's happening, and like a mobile suit just like falls on him, kind of like you gets goofed. <laughs> so, uh, any other thoughts, uh, Adam, on uh, the original seed? At the moment, uh, not much to say on it. <laughs> I will say the greatest scene to me, of course, is um, what was the scene where everybody was getting microwaved? That was at uh, oh yeah, oh, Alaska, uh, Alaska, the uh, Alaska. Oh my God, that was like the roughest the Cyclops system. Yeah, exactly. That was the roughest stuff to watch right there. But it was um, it was it was it it moved the show up to a level that um, I didn't expect. And of course, when um, Kira got some. That was like the biggest thing to me. I was like, wow, I've never seen a Gundam character in the show get a taste. That was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and even more so in the movie when they when they when they accentuated the scene even more. But um that that's those are my thoughts on scene. Personally, uh and to clear up any misconceptions, no, I do not hate the cosmic era, despite what people may think from my reviews over the many years. I actually enjoy, you know, the original seed and, and the most I enjoy uh astray. But um Thing up, seed overall the original. I think it's an okay show, 
but it doesn't bring anything new to the table that hadn't already been done in all of the shows. Yeah, that was true. And it was obvious from the get-go. I mean, when the show started and, and you have, you know, oh, the Earth and space are at war, but the colonies had mobile suits first and Earth had crappy fighters and, you know, civilian gets involved because there's a Gundam on a neutral colony and the colony gets attacked and the ship is manned with civilians, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, so you use that as a starting point. But then it got like... It's like, oh, we got to escape to the Allied Fortress, and they arrest us for having the secret stuff, and then the enemies attack, and now we're going to go to Earth, but then we get knocked off course, and now we're in enemy territory. Oh. Jesus Christ. And then it goes on. Deja vu. Gundam pilot meets nice guy in the desert who he's forced to fight and kill. Yeah. So we were led to believe for 20 episodes. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and it was the show about 30 episodes for it to really get going because one of the things I really hated the most was that they got into this really annoying pattern of an action episode, then a teeny drama yeah. character development episode, quote unquote, then an action episode, right. rinse and repeat. Yeah, I actually think. And it just really killed the pacing. Yeah. What is it? When he lost the strike, there was about. That was episode 30. Yeah. Mm hmm. There was about three episodes or two episodes that seemed like nothing was going on. They were just kind of walking around, and it, like you said, there was no real action there. But yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Um, For me, the series really takes off, you know, during the the Battle of Alaska, and yes. it starts going its own direction. But then, because they wasted so much time, especially also with the clip episodes and the flashbacks. That's why uh, oh, yeah, please. the other Neo, Neo era from uh, Genoda, he nicknamed um, Mitsuo Fukuda as flashback em all Fukuda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember that seeing that on there. Stuff. Yeah, so I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, you don't need to keep flashing back five times the things that happened in the previous episodes. I mean, oh. how many times have each of us seen um, Nicole get killed? Oh yeah, <laughs> or I mean, the Kagali's father get blown up. The first five times it was cool to see Nico get killed, Ouch. but then after about you know the twelfth time, you're like, okay, we get it. He blew up. It's like yes, it's it's bad. It, you know, it's 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 sad that you know that that he got killed that way, but I don't need to see it like five times in the next episode. So there was so much time wasted that I think that by the end of the show, they had too much to wrap up in too short a time. Yep. Yeah. And I don't think Raul Crusoe really ever got much proper development as a villain. It's sort of like he just appeared out of nowhere as, by the way, I'm the main bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought his motives really were just sort of a shallow, cheap, shallow ripoff of the Frost Brothers. Yeah. You yeah. Know, it, it, that is, yeah that you raise a good point there. A really good point. Now, now that you bring that up. It's like, the world rejects me, so I'll destroy the world because, you know, I'm crazy <laughs> and I have a Gundam. And a Gundam out of the blue, yeah. too. You d you never saw hide nor hair of that Gundam until, like, the last two Fs. Yeah. yeah. And the Providence shows up. It's like, what the heck is that? But I think the Frost Brothers, even though they weren't the best villains around, mm -hmm. throughout all of X, you saw that they were doing secret things. They were they had an yeah. agenda they were following from the very first time they appeared till the very end. And exactly. Cruz is sort of just this mysterious guy who's there for the ride. And then suddenly in the last five episodes... It's like, oh, I know all about Kira Yamato's past, and I'm going to destroy the world. And oh. <laughs> it's like you didn't even think he was that involved, so, let no. alone. Yeah, it's like he wasn't even that important. So I mean, the only thing you knew is that. I just thought that was a little out of nowhere. Yeah, the only yeah. thing you knew is that he and Mu had a connection. Let, but to know, that Ki, know that Kira, of all people, was involved when Kira seemed to be someone who was ripped out of, um, just ripped out of random to, to end up piloting the strike and be involved in this whole mess in the first place which is another one of Neo's pet peeves, as, as previously discussed. 
What's that? Where, where the, the keys left oh, in the ignition? Yeah. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. And then my, my biggest thing, this whole, the concept of seed itself, you know, the superior evolutionary element destined factor thing, which they only barely bring up. Yeah. Is hardly ever explained. Yeah. And even in destiny. They actually, t- they actually talk about it more in the Astray yeah, manga it's like, than they do in the show. And that probably is due to the fact that I read in an interview, um, Fukuda said that first, um, when he was developing the show, he came. He called it Gundam Sin, yeah. but uh, he was told that that wouldn't fly in America. <laughs> so he came up with the name Gundam Seed, okay, just because I guess it sounded cool, right? And he didn't come up with what Seed stood for until later on. Wow, <laughs> what yeah. an afterthought! Yeah, really. And and he loves those acronyms, but um, well, I, that's the thing. That's one of the biggest things. It's like you know this. Yeah, they do love those acronyms. Seed power that that Kira and a couple of other people have just appears out of nowhere. It's explained. It's really not much more than a plot gimmick. Yeah. Even new type powers are a bit of a plot gimmick, but they get a lot more explanation. Yeah. yeah. The seed is just like it just happens. Yeah, and there exactly. was just a very few people that had it too. That it's was like, what was. Why is it that there's only five people who have it and all five of them are super major characters? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and why does Kigali have it of all people? She, apparently she's, she's a, a sister. A, so. Well, she's a sister, but she's not a coordinator. She's a natural, right? Well, according... I guess that would be the one thing that throws that theory off is the fact that coordinators are the only people who can get the seed power. I guess uh, one natural in, in general. I mean, she was born naturally. But I guess that doesn't make her a natural. I guess her genetics were messed with too. But right. According to the definition of the seed, though, um, right. oh. it's just a visual representation of someone going beyond their limits, and that's irrespective of whether they're a natural or a coordinator. Yeah. Oh, I see what you mean. Well, I guess... I guess since we did the first show, we should probably go into Destiny. Destiny. Really yeah. quick, I'm just going on that. Not um, much to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> I, you know, I enjoyed the show. I was, I was, I was pleasantly excited when they said they were doing the, another show. The opening thought, was stunning too. Yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was a good show. It was good up until Break the World, mm-hmm. up until about Berlin. Yeah, Berlin. And then after that, I just don't know what they did. I mean, once again, the whole situation with all the. Um, the flashback episodes. Yeah, didn't we get that two after Berlin? You know, just introducing characters and then making characters more important than what they were, and it's like and killing off Heine, the coolest character to show up in that show. Yeah, Heine. I mean, yeah, I just it it didn't it didn't, and then you know bringing back the old cast, which I thought was fine, but then just making them the whole focus of everything, and and then, and then the explanation of Moo's return. Yeah, Rich was ridiculous. And it's like it'd have been better if he was a clone, not to bring back the original. It's yeah. like, wow, he's a clone. How is that possible? Yeah, <laughs> it would have made a little bit more. It would have made a little bit more sense than yep. uh, you know. Oh well, I survived the blast. Like, how, okay, uh, okay. Your helmet was floating in space. How did you? How did you survive vacuum? Although they retconned well, they, the helmet. They deleted the. They deleted the helmet in the special edition. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. retconned <laughs> the helmet. Yeah, that's true. Which still begs the question: the strike Gundam exploded. Yeah. From yeah. A battleship cannon. Yeah. Exactly. There's a chance he's going to get a rip or two in the old normal suit, I think. <laughs> so, but uh, no rip. Uh, so thoughts, Solbro. Um, I'll try to sum it up in ten, maybe fifteen seconds. Destiny. Uh, it started off cool. It ended really on an abrupt note, and not even Final Plus saved it, oh. except for maybe that final scene where it leads into something. And of course, Kagali got ultimately punked in that show, which I absolutely hated. Um, although the girl that Atherin ended up with was cool, um, outside of all those events that transpired, um, I don't hate Shin. 
I'll be one of the few people on the planet that doesn't hate Shin at all. I think he he was he he was or he was the character that he was meant to be. I did, I was glad he didn't have an epiphany because that yeah. had been really predictable, you know. And he stuck to his guns, although he failed. But he ultimately, you know, he had a, he had a, he had a turn of heart. But you know, it, it it was it was after everything was said and done. But you know, throughout, I liked his character, his convictions. He stayed to him, although he was hypocritical in a lot of scenes. He still, you know, stuck to his guns, and I like him as I like him for that. But um, not as much as other characters. But he was I, I have no beef with him. Chris, <laughs> I'm one of the other few. Shin. That being said, I don't love the guy, but um, the show yeah. was just a complete <laughs> I agree. train wreck. I'm with you. It got off to a great start for those first 13 episodes, but then it started going downhill right during the uh, wedding episode where they wasted the whole episode on something that could have taken five minutes, and I said to myself in the back of my head, oh, mm-hmm. it's too good to be true. Here it goes. And lo and behold, by the end of the series, my you know worst fear was confirmed. Oh, yeah. You know, the show went vastly off track. The new cast, which I thought was really interesting, got completely sidelined in favor of the old yep. cast. I didn't mind the old cast returning. I mean, you look at Zeta, it worked out perfectly there where you have a melding of old and new characters, but you never had Amuro stealing the spotlight from Camille. There was never right. any doubt in Zeta that it was Camille's show. No. But almost from the beginning, at Shin competing for screen time exactly. with Athrin and with... Um, Kira. Not no. at all. Now, I didn't Not mind it so much because they were kind of developing Atherin as like a mentor exactly. for Shin, and they sort of yeah. had this begrudging sort of respect that was developing, but then they tossed that all That's out the true. window, and then just made Shin this angry guy who never developed. They just decided to stop developing him completely, but then by the same token, Atherin they just recycled his development from Seed and made him all wishy-washy again. Yep. Jesus. Even, even more so. <laughs> and then Kira... Yeah, and then Kira didn't change at all. He was just a robot. Yep. His character doesn't develop at all during that show. He doesn't. Nope. He's Iceman the entire show. <laughs> yeah. And then by the end of the show, it's like, what am I watching here? It's it's just a total, total train wreck. And, you know, really had a potential. If you asked me during the first 13 episodes, is Destiny better than Seed? I would say, oh, it's so much better. Yeah. But then so many clip shows so much recycled animation oh. from Seed and from other parts of Destiny. Mm-hmm. The only thing I think that really stands out about Destiny is the music. Yeah. Yeah. It, this, this it's got a g- fantastic soundtrack, especially the symphonic version. Yes, it does. But so did Seed. Yeah. yeah. Also had a very good soundtrack. But otherwise, the show's almost a complete train wreck, and like Solbro said, not even Final Plus can save it, and mm-hmm. not even the Special Edition can save it. Yeah, so, I, wanted yeah. To, I wanted to see if you were going to bring that up, too. Said, uh, let's uh, hop over to the Stargazer. What do you guys think about that? I enjoyed Stargazer. The only problem that I had with it was it was too short. Um, yeah. I thought going to the route of the Phantom Pain pilots was good. Um, the whole thing was, I didn't really dislike any of the characters. They really, uh, in that first episode, it really uh, expanded upon that 9 11 kind of yeah. uh, um, mania that was uh, that that was about. They kind of brought that back for that first episode with all the chaos that was going on because of Break the World, and I really like that show for that because you know it's just you you become self-involved when watching that short first episode because of you know that um just what the state of the world that the world was in after um after Break the World was uh, took place, and um I, I I that that just it kicked off Stargazer for me. It kind of ended on a it kind of ended on a softer note, but. I, I don't know. I, I still like it better than the other two series. Well, the the only issue I had with it too was just the whole just kind of throwing the stargazer in there 
and you know it just kind of jumped around but i know they were dealing with a limited um you know limited number of episodes so i can kind of forgive them on that um you know i I think it's i think it's a good representation I, i thought you know i would like to see it a little bit longer but you know i guess we'll have to you know wait or see or whatever but uh chris what would what's your thoughts on stargazer it was pretty good given that it was only 45 minutes. I really think it should have been six full OAV episodes. I agree. You know, it had too. a great start, you know, coming back to break the world, which in Destiny, as soon as it happened, it was forgotten. Done. Yeah. yeah it you was. didn't really see the. F- and what I thought was really creepy was uh, you really sort of got the vibe of like um, the Asian tsunami and Hurricane Katrina sort of combined with the way they depicted things. And that just was really, really effective. Uh, what I hated was that at the end, it just to, you know, the Earth Alliance, again, being depicted as a bunch of evil, incompetent psychopaths. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had Sven. He was he was all right. But, uh, you know, Shams was just a freaking gun-toting moron shooting stuff. And everybody else, they were all just maniacs. So it, it really just furthered, you know, that unrealistic image of the Earth Alliance just being totally evil yeah. in yeah. every form and shape. That's true. There's... there's- Right. Yeah, there was no there was no redeeming person in any in any of the alliance, you know, any of the officers. There was none that, you know, like stood up against any of that like, you know, like General Revel did in the first show or yeah, anything like they're that. They're as bad as the Titans practically. I mean, just they're on that, yeah. that kind Nobody of Nobody questioned it, but um and then I guess That we, said, I still enjoyed it. Yeah. I still enjoyed it more than Destiny because it was done the execution was better. Oh, yes. yes even though the the story was lacking because of the very short length but the execution was better. uh the special editions the movies uh i guess quickly the first seed uh the special editions on that didn't like it because i just felt like all the changes and all the additions that they made were just uh it's just fan service and it was just catering to fans so and then uh, t- my man toll's death was um even more excruciating in those <laughs> well i mean it, it looked yeah but other than that i mean especially the last movie was just I, I didn't i didn't feel it at all so uh the destiny special editions um i kind of was intrigued by the way that they were doing it in the point of atherin but once again it was just uh it was a lot more painful to watch than uh the show itself so <laughs> um, yeah so I, never, I thought the the seed special editions were um they were so poorly edited that if you hadn't seen the tv show you wouldn't understand the story uh, even you know even if you saw the tv show it was difficult to understand what what the heck was going on yeah i think destiny did it better because they had four rather than three special editions but and the problem with Destiny is still, you know, you can spray perfume on a piece yeah. of garbage, but it's still mm-hmm. a pile of garbage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, Solbro, yeah, I don't know. I, if I you've never seen really, it. I never okay. really even saw either, so okay. I can't really comment. Cool. But I'll take you guys' word for it. That's for sure. And I guess now, quickly, just uh, we'll th- talk about maybe some th- ways of uh, kind of fixing the franchise. Uh, I don't think it's a complete lost cause. I think. Um, they introduced a lot of good ideas. There's a lot of good characters in the shows. Mm-hmm. I think probably the best thing for them to really do is have somebody else come in uh, and you know 
new director, new writing staff, and just kind of build on and maybe answer some of the questions. Because the show has a strong following in Japan, so I mean, yeah. if, if, there, if there's an and here, yeah, and here, so if there's an announcement for um, another seed series, you know, people are going to watch. This time, take it, uh, make it, make it great. Take a take a note from Double Zero. I mean, your audience is going to grow older waiting for this show so you know make it appeal to a, a slightly older audience and um since they since they develop Atherin so much i think Atherin should be the antagonist in this series i'll be honest with you but i mean that's that's a whole other subject but i mean <laughs> Atherin's counterattack yeah, yeah exactly exactly <laughs> if they, since, they've, since they've been biting off of uc all along if they wanted to really develop kira and Atherin and get them to the point where they need to be where they're at each other's throats and then they finally come to some kind of resolution I think they can really take advantage of that for the show and 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 make it play out to um, also involve Kigali again, but um that I'm getting into fanfic um, material and I I'll I'll regress for now, but I think that's where they should go. I honestly do. Atherin is an amazing character and I I think they could do so much with him if they if they develop yeah. him right. Yeah, I mean you're, you're right there, I, and I I think just having another creative team go in and do it. Um, you know, put maybe do their take or maybe expound on it. It's not a, it's not an insult to the director or you know the writers of the first show, but I mean they had a good idea, they had some good ideas, they just couldn't complete it correctly. Yeah. But I agree, Chris. What would be some, uh, some things that you would like, to, some ways that you'd like to see them fix? Number this? one, get a get a new team if, uh, because as Stargazer showed, <laughs> yes, yeah. having a completely different staff really helps in every sense of the word. Uh, number two. Yes. Put some distance between the series because yes. you had these two series with this whole set of characters that are set so close to each other, and in the end, they ended up just being pretty much the exact same story of genocide alliance versus genocidal zaft. Mm -hmm. And um, I really think they should they should just you know space this out, start fresh, like set it yeah. twenty or thirty years in the future if they ever do a series, have a totally new cast of characters, wow. and just I was gonna say turn a new page and just completely mm -hmm. walk away from, you know, Kira Yamato and all these people. True. Uh, yeah, and I mean, they can have them in there, but as very minor characters. Because, I, would, uh, I mean, let's be honest, mm -hmm. 20, 30 years from now, most likely they're not going to be in the position of being a mobile suit pilot anymore. So I was thinking more so like maybe 7 to 10 years, kind of like this gap between mobile suit and Zeta. That way, you know, they could still be have a role in it but not as active because they're older and they're doing other yeah. things and they may be involved in other things and have you know have focus on a whole new cast i'm I'm all for that but yeah but that's what destiny was supposed to be and it's and the way and it's like kira and the archangel crew they've already had another yeah, time in the spotlight you know they just need to move out yeah. of the way and you know let a new crew take over and and have the focus be firmly on them which is what destiny was supposed to be but turned out to not be so i think you know putting a lot of distance would really help also you know yep. just find a new way to develop the that universe and not have it just be you That's know true. evil earth alliance versus evil zaft with a group in between that you know is fighting both of them so they really need to just rethink yep. that universe and just follow a page from from astray which most of them tell really good stories and have really helped to develop that universe some have not been so good like x astray and some other ones but you know the the main astray series destiny astray was great those were all great examples for yeah. how to properly do that series yeah, those are good yeah low gear Low gear. He's the man. One last thing, though. Um, one other thing that one loose end they need to tie up is Al Deflaga. 
I don't care what they do, but they need to explain him and what kind of effect yeah, he's had on everything. Yeah, how important. Because you, know, you realize. seems so important. And then he's, you know, got, he's got clones all over the place. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's, has, yeah, he's, he's and had his finger in every pie. And, he's, and his actions have affected a lot of characters in that show, whether they know it or not. Yeah. So to explain him and who he was and, you know, why he's a new type, that that I like to have answered. Yeah. Plain and simple. But, well, I guess uh, we could probably go on for hours talking about how to fix it. But those are just kind of some of the things that we think. Uh, do we know that this is going to happen? Not that probably we, not. Probably not, or in the next show or the or movie that they have planned will probably be more of the same, but we can always hope. So uh, that's the end of this segment. We'll be back in a little bit. You're listening to Gundam at MHQ. I, I was just telling you that because, like I said, I lost my license. I've just been having a lot of problems lately. Problems? I don't want to hear about your Gun. damn problems. Everybody got problems. My mama got problems. She just lost her leg. My cousin Pookie just lost a testicle. My dog just threw up somebody's finger. That's a problem. I really regret opening my mouth and talking to you. Welcome back to the show that's hidden harder than the Dom's double axe handle. That's right. Gundam at MAHQ. I'm so sorry, Miss Matilda. It's okay. Just keep going. Just keep going. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Matilda. We're back. Miss Matilda. May you rest in peace. We're um Peace we're bringing us. you a new segment and we're talking about um it's another anime spotlight and we're going to be speaking on the OVA series Mega Zone 23 or in some circles Mega Zone 23 <laughs> watching the dub I was ultra confused but um <laughs> I um I just just finished watching it not too long ago well, at least parts 1 and 2 I have not seen part 3 yet but I have it in my custody as well and I I have to say I enjoyed it it was kind of a throwback to the um the good old, um, the good old ultra-violent 80s, as I've I've so treasured in these past few years. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, we're gonna we're gonna discuss it. We're gonna go into it a little bit and um, just give our thoughts on it. And basically, the overview is, and I hate to ruin the hook for you guys, but um, it starts out in your you know it's a typical 80s situation. You got the uh, you got the the free-spirited main character dude that's um a motorcyclist r- running from the cops. His name is Shogo. And um, he's pretty much, he does what he wants. He's kind of a, a Peter, I, I guess you could call him kind of Peter Panish, you know, kind of guy who's in between. He's in his adolescence. He doesn't want to grow up. But at the same time. Um, Is this a theme? He, he, wait, last week we had the, the Arthur yeah. Legend. Now it's Peter Pan. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he's, he's kind of. <laughs> Thank you. I, I was trying to hold back, but thank you for. Well, no, but I'm just saying. Next week is is it things when we discuss uh, Dunbar, and I don't know. Heck yeah, <laughs> heck yeah. I'd be glad to. I'd be glad to compare those two. But no, he's just he's an anarchist. You know, he doesn't want to conform to the way society is, and you know, he's always causing trouble and on the on the run from the cops. And then, you know, in his in his latest uh his latest uh dodging of the cops, he runs into a a young girl by the name of um Yui, correct? I believe yeah. it's yeah, you yeah. Ian. Yes, she um she's just happening to be late for uh, I think a, a dance performance or rehearsal, and he gives her a ride 
to um, her dance studio, and yeah, she works at the Hard Rock Cafe or something like that, which is ironic because a lot of places in this anime that they, they don't change the name of them. They actually just you know they roll with it. The McDonald's, Hard Rock Cafe, Coca Cola, all those brands are in there. Lucky Strike cigarettes. I was amazed. And I had an urge to smoke. It's called ad- in-show in advertising. <laughs> yeah, it was the start of in-show advertising. Exactly. I think Macross had it covered before that with uh, Budweiser Missile. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's right. Oh, my God, that's I right. About that. I forgot about that. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, uh, okay, so he gets with the girl then. And he, gets with, he gets with the girl, and um, he takes her to, um, to her, her appointment and somehow finagles the digits. <laughs> he um, gets her to, to give up the digits, and... Um, he goes on to meet up with one of his um homeboys who's involved with the top secret project and he doesn't know anything about the top secret project yet, but when he gets to this um underground garage, his friend shows up shows off this uh brand new motorbike to him called the Garland. And it's bigger than your average bike and looks just all cool as all get out. But um they uh, the authorities show up, some some kind of secretive men and men in black type dudes. They're not in black, but they wear sunglasses and whatnot and they, they've come to reacquired the garland and killed the um, young man who stole it and uh was it the shogo makes a getaway on the garland with his friend following him but um his friend isn't too um, fortunate and ends up dying as a result shogo um makes it out and the conspiracy follows and um chris you'd probably be able to explain this better than i would but <laughs> well he's got this this awesome bike which he soon figures out is uh you know much more than it seems and uh you got this idol singer, Eve Tokimatsuri, who, you know, is sort of like a Lin Min Mei and kind of looks like her, being designed by Mikimoto. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, through a couple of the course of a couple of events, he finds out that um, Eve isn't even real. She, she's a virtual idol. And um, as he explores more and he's being chased by the military, he discovers that the world isn't real and that um, it's not the 1980s in Tokyo and that they're actually on a spaceship yep. right and this spaceship was one of many that left earth because uh, there was this apocalyptic war and um, the survivors left on these ships so this computer uh, Bahamut that uh, is running Megazone 23 or 23 um, wants to keep people you know pacified and it fools them by recreating 20th century earth so everybody thinks that they're living on earth and even like when they when they think they're going on vacation like they're really just being hypnotized into thinking they went somewhere but it's really just this one city right and um you know he decides to bust it open this conspiracy while in the meantime uh you know getting it on with yui because you know he's a he's he's an outlaw and you know comes down to a final showdown with uh bd and unfortunately the garland gets its ass kicked which was quite a departure for uh you know for this project and I think that's uh, one of the things that makes it stand out is that at the end, the hero, the inexperienced pilot, loses. Yeah. <laughs> and another thing that stands out is, you know, the characters, they're, they're pretty different from, uh, you know, what you normally see in a mecha show. You got um, Shogo, who's the sort of, like, rebellious type, but not really, like, a whiny, angsty guy. Then you got the in question Yui who comes off so sweet and everything but you know isn't above having sex with some sleazy producer to get a job yeah at all that was that was very which results in a great scene of you know this creepy producer trying to sex her up and then Shogo you know is peeping on them with the the garland and he just freaking <laughs> busts through the wall of the hotel and grabs her yeah exactly when she said when she said she worked in Rapongi 
that was like a clue to me that she might actually, you know, do that kind of thing. I, I wasn't sure, but then you know, all of a sudden, you know, she's going to sleep with the record producer in order to, to, to advance her career. It's like, wow, does she do this on the regular? Or, you know, is, she, is this just like one thing she's just doing to advance herself? I, I don't know. Maybe that was part of her, um, part of the way she made money. Who knew? But um, yeah, it just it it just it clued me into the to the fact that that might happen. But I was really shocked to still see it happen. Yeah, and in essence, sort of like uh, the basic story, it's pretty much the Matrix. Yeah, yeah. You know that the world you think you live in is totally fake. Right. Exactly. And there's a conspiracy behind it. Isn't it? Isn't this um anime also part of the inspiration for the Matrix? As in um, then the Wachowski brothers actually um watch this and you know just just maybe they it, who knows. I know it's it's well known that they are anime fans. I mean, you can see obvious anime inspirations in yeah. the, the Matrix, and you know the Matrix, the original Megazone, and also the horrible edited Robotech, the movie. Those would have both been around long before yep. the Matrix here in America, and, and they probably would have seen it because it was released uh, by Streamline as uncut Megazone twenty three exactly. in the early nineties. Yep. So they would have definitely seen it. So they might have been inspired by it. Who knows? That's but true. It's uh, it's definitely a good show. I mean, the first parts, um, you know, it's it's one of those shows I think that everybody that is um, a mech fan needs to see, um, you know, and, and all the parallels, like you said, with the with the the Matrix and just the flawed characters. That's the thing that was so great about it is. Um, just every character's flawed and like you said they and 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 the avenues that they went with some of the characters like one girl um the one that was filming the movie with them i forget her name but um tomomi tomomi yeah the tomomi yeah. is she to, yeah she um she ends up getting executed like towards the end and yeah brutally murdered too brutally on top of that murdered. Yeah. Like, i kind of saw like, that coming it's like oh but, but this poor girl it's like oh man yeah it's like they really done her a, wrong yeah, and, and and that was nothing compared to the ultra violence in the second part. But <laughs> still, to see oh, it, such a cute character just get wasted like that, it was amazing. I just, I it was there was a lot of things that shocked me in it. Even if, after all these years of watching anime, I was I was I was quite taken aback with some of the visuals in this. And I I I'm glad that when I'm watching a show that when that happens, you know, it, it's it still shows that anime can still be fresh to me, no matter how old it is, or you know, how 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 downtrodden I might think of a show is until they actually surprise me. So I just, I, I, I like Megazone 23 a lot, including um, the second part, but I like the first part more than the second, I have to be honest. A couple of uh, closing notes on, on part one. Um, originally, the, the show was intended to be a 26-episode TV series, mm-hmm. and the whole motorcycle thing was kind of in the style of, of Mos Peta, but yeah. then the sponsors pulled out. So uh, what they ended up doing is, you know, reformatting the story into this, you know, OAV thing, which was very new at the time. I mean, there'd only been a few OAV series in 1985, and Megazone was one of the, is considered like one of the very first profitable OAVs, and I think that probably helped the story because, I mean, you know, yeah, there's the violence and the sex and all that, but the the themes that are in this show, you couldn't have done any of that stuff on TV. No, couldn't not at all. all. Especially the so sex. So I think... I, <laughs> You know, having it in an OAV form, which was this totally new, uncharted territory, really allowed them to go new places and define the standard of, you know, the 80s OAV. I mean, you look at any 80s OAV, whether it's something like Riding Bean or Bubblegum Crisis Mm -hmm. or any of these things, whether they're Mecha or not, I mean, Megazone 23 really set the tone, that golden age of 80s OAVs. Thank goodness for it. And the 
Second interesting thing is, uh, which we will not discuss here, is that the Megazone 23 Part 1 was hacked up into Robotech the movie. Oh, I heard about that. I've never seen that, though. Which, if you want to hear more on that, uh, recently uh, Destroy All Podcasts DX, they did a whole episode about Robotech the movie. And bless them for that, because there's a reason why they called it part of the Robotech trilogy of pain. Oh, wow. <laughs> I've, I've actually skimmed through the Robotech movie. I haven't seen it. It is so bad. First of all, it's this totally made-up story where, you know, um, the Robotech masters are trying to, like, you know, get the SDF-1 computer back, and they change the story so that it's on Earth, and they intersplice this Southern Cross footage, what? which just looks horrible because it's cheap TV footage mixed in with the Megazone OAV. Wow. <laughs> they totally hacked up Megazone and, like, moved scenes around, and you have, like, scenes from the beginning towards the end, <laughs> and then they had this super fucky thing where... um they had this totally new crappy ending animated where Shogo's going after BD. Of course, they have different names. I don't care what their names are. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, after the Garland gets trashed, he has to go like rescue one of Yui's roommates who's being taken to like some airport to be flown away. And like one of like the crappy like space fighters from Megazone mm-hmm. is the secret prototype. He steals it. And it transforms into a, a a hard gun robot. What? And he's like going and fighting BD, who actually has been like uh, cloned by the Robotech masters because they're trying to get the computer, and he's like a secret traitor. And it's like, oh my god, who who came up with this crap? It's like they just took Megazone, sliced it to pieces, murdered it, and then peed on its grave. <laughs> oh my god. I mean, Robotech. You know, even with all the changes it made the Macross part and the most paid part at least were pretty close to their original stories. Right. Southern Cross made a lot of changes, but this show, they just totally raped it. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's sad, and it's it's a good thing that it's out of print and that, you know, nobody ever saw it anywhere, and, you know, I wish I had that time of my life back, even though I just skimmed <laughs> through it here and there. So let's move away <laughs> from goodness. that piece of crap. And uh, yeah. what do you guys think of part two? Part two, basically, what, a continuation? Um what what is the time skip on that? Because six months. Six months. Is it, it six, six months? Six yeah. months. And it, I, I had to first figure out who was who because the art style was so bloody different. <laughs> yeah. Between the two. Yeah, that's one of the things I didn't like that they totally changed the art style. Yeah, it became yeah. realistic and man, it, it, to to some levels, really really detailed in the um, in the old violence factor. But we'll get to that. But uh. I, I had to sit there and figure out one of the most amusing things about it is in the beginning when you see the Thundercats pinball machine. And yeah. the Silverhawks pinball machine, I, I lost it. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that was that's because um, all three shows were animated by the same studio, so yeah, yeah. it's just sort of an in joke. Yeah, I guess it was an in joke, and they put that in there. I did find it funny going, throwing back to the first episode, um, the first movie that uh, Shogo worked at McDonald's <laughs> and proud too. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a good start. You see those commercials. Man. It was like, oh yeah, exactly. Calvin, he yeah. was <laughs> he was pulling the Calvin. <laughs> but um, yeah, but the the. S- the second, the second, uh, the second part's good. Um, definitely, you because the first part you, you're left wondering what's going to happen to these people because it's kind of an open-ended uh, ending, I would say, in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, the art style was a little crazier. Uh, you see that they get uh, Shogo is actually a little bit more militant now. Yeah. Uh, since I guess he knows what's going on and the true intent of everything, so um, you get you get introduced to a whole cast of very colorful, literally colorful characters. <laughs> 
Um, some, some of them look like Gem and the Holograms too. <laughs> that was interesting. And the first half of that, the first half of that movie was a, a beer commercial. Yeah, I never thirsted for Heineken so much in my life. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it it, it was good. Um, the you get to go more into uh, kind of the conspiracy what's going on i guess you find i guess what is it the megazone is actually on track now to go to earth um and the what is it the eve program is just there it controls everything up until it reaches earth and then it's you know overtaken by adam mm-hmm. which i guess is yeah judge jury and executioner when it comes to you know seeing if that megazone is uh um, worthy of being uh landed on earth he certainly is but uh <laughs> So that was kind of, that was kind of interesting. Uh, the violence factor. Oh my oh, gosh. Oh, the captain. Uh, I. Oh god, that captain with the freaking. Yeah. The freaking robot tentacles and it's just like going through his eyeballs and his fingers and. Oh. Oh man, that was just. His yeah. digits and his limbs were just rendered asunder. Yeah. I'm just watching. Oh. Oh, I mean, if you if you you get to watch this and you can you can find that DVD probably at your late, at your at your local. You know, video store best buy circuit city whatever but um it's all in the pack now but you you watch that second episode of megazone and you see that scene where the where the ship is getting taken over by these these robotic tentacles and it is absolutely disgusting yeah as it's worse than fist of the north star <laughs> in some levels i i, I couldn't believe it <laughs> and yeah. somehow i was thrilled well, to watch fist it. was entertaining when it came to exploding heads in between that and watching cloverfield this weekend i don't know what to say (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah definitely kind of interesting uh i guess you get to see the um you know i don't want to give too much away at the ending there but you know i guess uh they get to the point where they got to get to eve they meet eve do what uh you know shogo and Yui, they do what they need to do, and right. somehow they're kind of chosen worthy to, just them though, to uh, land on Earth. But then the BS flag comes up with yes. all the people that were ex- gunned down in the, uh, <laughs> gunned down in the streets. Or hey, what's up, guys? The entire, the <laughs> yeah, it's like we're not dead actually. Yeah, all these like biker punks, all these nasty biker punks that are there. Even though you saw us gunned down by tanks and about a, a regiment of uh, soldiers, we're we're cool, we're cool, yeah, we're and we wasted. made it to the escape pod. But um, we're all alive. Some of them blown up. Personally, I did not like part two anywhere near as much. No, um, no, it, it really didn't take the story anywhere. One of the things in part one and two is that they're fighting uh, these people called the Dizalg. Yeah. That are from another megazone, but has much more advanced technology. But we never get any insight as to who they are. We never even get to see them. Really, why they're fighting. Yeah. We never even see them. They're practically aliens, even though you know that they're humans, just on a different ship. Exactly. So that's just totally thrown out the window. The mech action, there's hardly any of it here. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, Shogo goes and steals back the repaired garland he barely uses it then that other guy trash i think his yeah. name uses it and then it just gets wrecked so there's like hardly any mecha action going on and um it just really doesn't expound upon any of the things like no i guess they've made clear that they're living in a fake world oh. but you never see the reaction of the population like wouldn't you think this entire city would be an anarchy were they ever told i think they were like the populace i think they were yeah they were told that's Whoa. why they were doing the um 
the recruiting drive. Yeah. Oh, very true. Yeah, they were recruiting because they said, you know, the we have enemies that we have to fight. Yeah, that was true too. Um, yeah, because I mean, you you think of that. If you found out your whole existence was fake, you think yeah. there'd be blood in the streets. But exactly. Everybody was cool in there. The guy's name was Lightning. Lightning. That Lightning. W- sorry, Lightning was the uh, leader of Trash. Trash was the motorcycle gang. Yeah. Then you got this other thing of like Shogo is just hanging out with these like super weird bikers. We're just like the the epitome of '80s bikers. Yeah. And his relationship with Yui also doesn't really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just seems very different from in the first movie. It, it kind of goes backwards, I think. And because Yui's very independent in the first one. Yeah. She's like, you know, she she could she could go on without him if she wanted to, at least in the beginning half of it, you know, before she becomes attached. But in this one, you know, she's just like she's wounded. She's you know just kind of got the sadness behind her and. Um, she just doesn't seem the same at all. She looks different and seems different at the same time, yeah. which kind of threw me off. I mean, granted, she was Yui, but she didn't seem like the same person to me in the second one at all. There's also so few returning characters from part one, like, for example, um, yeah. that other roommate of... Mai. Mai. Yeah, yeah. Mai. She vanishes. You know, her dad is in part... Her dad is still in part two, but she's not. Yeah. Um, Shogo's friends, like that old that old pops who runs that motorcycle shop, he doesn't. They don't show him. Exactly. Uh, Shogo's two friends, who you know, get patriotic and decide to sign up for the military. You don't see them ever again. Oh, nope. they're dead. And <laughs> well, they're dead. Oh yeah, I'm That's pretty obvious. sure. They, they got tentacled or something. But no, no doubt. But uh, it's like it seems so different, and it drops so many in part one, and yep. you know, doesn't really follow up on any of the themes, and it just yeah, it just kind of is there. It's okay. I mean, I gave it a three out of five in my review, but. That's you know, fair. Part one was so great, and mm-hmm. you know, part two just doesn't fell up. Maybe it's also doing because part one was directed by Noboru Ishiguro, who also directed the original Macross. Uh, he also directed the Fantastic Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Wow, a whole bunch of other stuff. So, and as well as Orgus. Yeah. Orgus, and that, so, that that's another show we have to review sometime in the future. I, I've been wanting to watch that for a while. Oh, definitely. So you know, he has that. He has he has a real affinity for. You know these these mecha projects, so that might be also another difference since uh, you know it's a different director in part two. But yeah, it continues and ends it for that part. Yep. But I think it could have been so much better. Yeah, very yeah. true. You you're you're really left wanting more in that one. What about part three though? I haven't watched part three, and I'm not sure if Neil has. But I have. What, what's a brief overview of part three, and just how? What were your impressions on it? Yeah. Um. Well, overview. What is it? It's uh, it's a different megazone. Well, it's 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 on Earth. Yeah, it's like it way in the yeah. future. This one's set on Earth. Yeah, it's yeah, it's on Earth. Um, what is it? Their Shoko is actually like a legend now, isn't he? Yeah, it's because it's been like five hundred years since part two. Yeah. Basically, um, what you got is that five hundred years have passed since uh, part two, and everybody lives in this city right. that's very tightly controlled by this computer system. Yep. And um, mm-hmm. there's this company called mm-hmm. EX Corp mm. that manages the system. Yeah, with EX. So the story's about this guy named uh, Eiji Takanaka, and uh, he's sort of this hacker guy. And he ends up getting a job with, um, with EX, even though he's a hacker. So maybe he's sort of like a... Uh, Oh shoot! What's this guy's name? Uh, big hacker turned security consultant. Yeah, I know who you're talking oh, about. Yeah, yeah. About too. Just trying to oh his god, name. what is that guy's oh, name? God, what is what is his name? He's, <sighs> he's been on like screensavers and and mm-hmm. all these these tech shows. Oh, what is that guy's name? I don't remember it. Like five hours after we record this. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 you know he that dude. He, yeah, that guy. 
So, you know, he, but now he's working for the mm-hmm. man. And there's all these weird things going on. And what he discovers is this video game called, and and I kid you guys not, it's called Hard On. Yep, Hard On. <laughs> In all caps. <laughs> and they talk about it like crazy. Yeah. I need to be the best at Hard On. Yeah, like I am the best at Hard On. Yeah. Yeah, so... um Anyway, mm-hmm. Hard On is actually sort of a training program for the uh, mass production garlands because yep. they still have the good old garland even 500 years in the future. Mm-hmm. And um, there's this resistance group that's fighting um, against EX, and AG sort of meets this girl who's involved with the resistance group, and he's sort of like caught between the man. Oh, by the way, that hacker's name Kevin Mitnick. Okay, that's his name. That's right. And he was off off of on top of my tongue. Kevin Mitnick, very famous hacker who uh, got arrested, went to jail, and is now a security consultant. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, you know, AG's run into this rebellion, and it goes out into this all-out rebellion against the system and the man. And um, wow, you know, he finds out that uh, at the end that the Earth has been completely restored, but mm-hmm. the city is like this mechanical monster that is now encroaching on the earth and destroying nature and it keeps expanding and you see it's it's kind of nasty looking from the outside of the city yep. it's just this giant monster that keeps expanding whereas wow. on the inside of the city it's this bright utopia but it's pretty ugly from the outside jeez mm-hmm. so it's sort of you know i guess it's like sort of a play on you know something can be beautiful on the outside but ugly on the inside, inside yep. this is sort of the backwards on the inside to those who don't know better it's beautiful but on the outside to nature wow. it's this horrible destructive force that's quite the contrast so uh, they take down they end up taking down the system and they do it by getting this data from Shogo's Garland which they find the ruins of the old Megazone 23 so, and Shogo's yep. beat up Garland Yep. And oh, wow. kind of the interesting thing is the head of the system is this this guy named Wan Dai. And, um, you know, he's all, like, hooked into the machine and yada yada. And uh, Eiji confronts him at the end. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the things that people have been supposing over the years is that this guy, Wan Dai, based on the way he talks, but also by his Japanese voice actor, that Wan Dai is actually Shogo. Wow. How, how's that yeah, possible? I, yeah, I kind of got that feeling, too. You, because Shogo was, when AG meets Eve, she makes him the new operator of 7G, which is what Shogo was called as well in, in the first two. Yeah. Um, she says that Shogo was supposed yeah. to do something, but he wasn't able to. And that's right. what she selected AG to be mm-hmm. the new operator of 7G to do. Right. And the way that this guy, Wan Dai, talks like, oh, I've been hooked into a machine for so long and I haven't seen anything with, you know, my real eyes. And yeah. just the way he talks, but also the fact that he has the same voice actor as Shogo from Part 2 kind of leads me to believe that he is Shogo and that, like, somehow, like, he got, he started up this system to help people, but then sort of it took him over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sort of like polluted and corrupted him. Goodness. Oh yeah, it's the that typical yeah, that, um, the, that typical argument when it comes to technology. You exactly. can't control it anymore, and yeah, it overtakes you. And yeah, you know, So so one of the things that uh, sticks out about Part Three is it's a lot mm-hmm. it's a lot more cyberpunk than uh, the first two. It's focused. There's a lot of focus on like computer hacking and not hacking like in the way of you know like that god awful hackers movie, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> A lot more focus on, you know, it, it feels kind of like um, similar to like that, that novel Neuromancer, if you've read that by William Gibson. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of focus on the computer world, and they tail into that. And uh, 
really not as much ultra violence as uh, you know part one or two. Uh, no sex for Ag, so no. he doesn't get to score. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. And I don't know, but a lot of people really hate part three. Some of them even more than part two, and I I like part three. It's not as good as part one, but it's a good standalone story, and I definitely think it's way better than part two. Yeah, I would agree with you there, and I I, I like that. Um, instead of just doing like you know a few years later or anything like that, it was like 500 years later, mm-hmm. and it, it just kind of showed that okay, the program happened. These people were put back on here, and then basically the same thing is happening again with the computer and. It's taken over everything, but yeah, I, I would agree with you that it's probably it's much better than the second part. It's still not as good as the first part, but you know, the first part is a must see for anybody. And well, then, um, and then if and then once you're done, you got to see part two and part three. <laughs> <laughs> You'll definitely want more, but uh, don't be don't be too concerned. You you might get disappointed. So, what's your overall rating for uh, Megazone Twenty Three Parts One? I think uh, I think the first part I would give like a four point five. Mm-hmm. Uh, second part like a three. Uh, the second, uh, third part like a three and a half, maybe three and three point seven five. Well, so and, and Chris, what's your what's what uh, well, what were your um your totals on on MAHQ? Actually, uh, pretty much the same as Paul. Uh, part one, I gave a four. Oh, really? But part two, I. Let's see here, a three, mm-hmm. and part three I gave. Let's see here, right? A three and a half. Three and nice. a half. Yeah, well, I haven't seen part three, so I guess that'll be to be determined. But um, I my 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 um reviews of uh parts uh two one and two are the same as yours, four and then three, because um part two did fall off a little bit. I'd have to say, quite a bit. Now before we wrap this up, uh, interesting note about the. You know, future of the franchise. A few years ago, it was announced that they were going to make a uh, new OAV that was sort of supposed to be like an alternate sequel to Part One, and kind of ignoring Part Two. But then it never happened. It never happened. And instead, there was a right. PS3 game that wow. came out last year called Blue Garland. Thank God. Which, from the sounds of it, <laughs> I think they might have just canceled the OAV and turned it into this to game. A video game. Because the right. story is roughly that um, it's set 20 years after part one. Wow. But it ignores part two, from what I understand. Oh, cool. And it stars this guy, let me look up on Wiki, right. who is the son of Yui. Okay. And therefore also Shogo. Well, that's pretty cool. I I saw I saw it on um I saw a picture of the cover on Wikipedia. Hopefully it'll come out here, but I don't yeah. think so. I don't think so. I, I heard it was a pretty crappy game. Yeah. Oh. Well then, darn. So uh, maybe maybe it's not. Maybe it's for the best then. <laughs> 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 so uh, he ends up you know potting a garland as well, and there's all this other stuff, and it looks like from I'm looking at it on the wiki entry, looks like Eve's in it too. So. You know, it'd be nice if it came here, or if we at least got some sort of description of you know what the uh, the story was but um, I really would like it if, if uh, Megazone came back I mean we've seen a lot of old franchises you know having entries in the last few years you know there's a new mm-hmm. you got Double O on you know there's a new Macross yeah. uh, new Votomes so there's a lot of life still left in these old franchises so I think Kinda, yeah. Megazone would be ripe for a return maybe something like um, mm-hmm. like a sequel in between parts 2 and 3 that sort of picks up after part 2 and explains mm-hmm. more things about that and leads into part 3 more yeah exactly that would be good so I think there's definitely uh, a lot that can still be done with this franchise and uh, you know it's still got some life left into it any other final comments on the franchise? No. 
No, just jump. my last thing would be is if you want something different and want something new, uh, something that'll make you think, uh, go ahead and uh, get part one and, you know, w- watch all the other ones. Or pick up the Megazone 23, uh, Megazone 2-3 collection. Um, it's at Best Buy and other retailers from ADV. <laughs> Not to act like a commercial for it, but it's out there. And um, just wraps up the, the second segment on Gundam at MAHQ, and we'll be right back. Where's my froggy? Where's my froggy? Oh, I didn't see it want to come in. Well, look! Gun. Damn your eyes! Look for it! Everybody, welcome back to Gundam at MHQ. This is Chris, and last episode we started a two-part series on the mind of Yoshiyuki Tamino. So today is part two of Super Tamino Wars. Yay. And in the first segment, we took a look at um, some of our thoughts on things in uh, Tamino's Gundam works, some things, themes of his that we like, some themes that we didn't like. And this time we're going to look at non-Gundam shows. So I think probably the best starting point would be is one of his more well-known uh, non-Gundam shows, and that would be Space Runaway Ideon. Oh, nice. no. So have either of you guys seen uh, Ideon before? Yes. I've seen the show and the movies. Okay. Both as, movies. as for me, I'm going to be the audience on this one, so <laughs> far away. All right. So, you know, we're not going to jump into, like, the stories of these shows, but no. very briefly, you know, it's this show about uh, these people who are colonizing this planet and excavating alien ruins, and they find these... Uh, like these three trucks yeah. buried in there, these giant red trucks. Then these aliens come and attack because they're looking for this uh, power of, of the Ide. Mm-hmm. And basically it's sort of like an escape story, kind of like the original Gundam series, where you know they find this spaceship and they hop aboard this spaceship and they're trying to get back to Earth and they keep coming under attack by the Buff Clan oh, yes. frequently. Yep. And throughout the course of the show, uh, Cosmo, the star, and the other pots of the Ideon discover that it has all these sorts of freaky powers. Oh, God. They just get, you know, more powerful as the show progresses to the point that later on it has these beam swords coming out of his hands that can slice an entire moon in half. Yep. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the series is pretty well known for its apocalyptic ending. Oh, boy. Where... Um, at the end, everybody dies. Mm-hmm. Everybody, both humans and the Buff Clan, which are also humans. And uh, both species are just wiped out entirely. <laughs> and everybody has some pretty gruesome deaths. And uh, if you look on YouTube, uh, Idian deaths, there's like this one-minute sequence like set to classical music. Mm-hmm. It's just a compilation of everybody dying, which has people getting... Pregnant women getting shot up in the face. Uh, little five-year-old girls having their heads blown off by bazookas. Oh yep. my god! Um, that was like the that was one of the worst fatalities in that whole show. Flying <laughs> flying heads. Flying heads. That was another good one. And all sorts of other decapitations. And th- that this show is probably where Tamino solidified um, his kill them all status. And for those who don't know, Ideon was his immediate follow-up to Mobile Gundam. Scene. Yep. And uh, coincidentally, the first episode aired the day that I was born. Really? Oh, my gosh. Uh, yep, May 8th, 1980. So, yeah, I'm an old bastard. It must be fate. <laughs> yeah. And kind of like Gundam, uh, the show was canceled early because it didn't uh, 
I guess have such good ratings, or maybe the toys didn't sell. Right. But unlike Gundam, Tamino couldn't get an extension to do the last four episodes. So the series just really ends on this awkward note, and it just ends, practically. It's like, the end. Pretty much. But I guess because of the popularity wow. of the Gundam movies, Tamino got a chance to go back. So he made uh, the two movies, um, A Contact, which is a sort of a compilation of the first 32 episodes. Yeah. And then Be Invoked, which is a retelling of the 39th episode as well as what the final four episodes would have been in fantastic, you know, early 80s movie quality animation. So one of the things, um, I do enjoy the show, but it stands about the show, and I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, is that most of the cast on either are pretty unlikable. Right. And I don't know if Tamina was just trying to create, like, a harsh world with none too lovable characters or this was just a byproduct of you know, how he created the show, but yeah. personally, for most of the show, especially the first half, the only characters that I could identify with, and maybe you'd agree, Paul, is um, Best Jordan and Kerala. Yeah, yeah. They pretty much seem the only sympathetic ones. Even uh, even Cosmo, I mean, he's kind of a dick, and um, I could not stand uh, Kasha. Kasha, and what was the kid, Deck? The... Yeah, Deck, oh. with his little what? blue squirrel. Yeah, I couldn't stand that kid either. <laughs> Um, I agree with you. I think what made that more shocking was that you're more shocked of how the person died instead of who died. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, man, we're losing a great character. It's like, oh, my God, why are you killing him like that? The show had a lot of Taminoisms in the first half. Oh, yeah. But then in the second half, it really kicks off. The first half, you have a lot of, you know, buff clan, like, you know, new guy X shows up and, you know, with <laughs> this new heavy mobile mecha, I'll surely defeat the giant god. Yeah. And at the end of the episode, he gets destroyed, and he's like, damn you, giant god. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was a lot of that. It's like after a while, every time I heard, Kyojin me, it's like, oh, man, how many more times is this going to happen? But then the story starts to change around the second half with some new characters, and the series really kicks into high gear all the way to the end. But that was one of the things that is really repetitive in the beginning. It kind of feels like Gundam where, you know, Every episode, almost, there was, like, some new Xeon guy in some crappy new mobile suit or some piece of crap mobile. Like, oh, I'll definitely beat the Gundam. Well, not not only that, but it was the fact that the Ideon uh, looked like um, a big gym. <laughs> big GM. Well, that's why people call it the, the god of GMs. <laughs> <laughs> it is the god of GMs. Yeah, I think it. I think the turning point was when they enter, they meet up with the Earth fleet and then... Uh, the Earth fleet's trying to get the Ideon from them, and basically, that and from that point on, that's when they realize that this is a really big, powerful machine that nobody really should really be messing with. They didn't want to mess with it, but they knew it was probably safer in their hands than the Earth fleet or the Earth Buff, or Clan. The Buff Clan. Yeah. Lots of desperation in that show. Yeah, one of the things that the second half of the show and the second movie really, really do well is the sense of desperation where as the situation goes on and people start dying and, you know, all these battles keep happening that these people are in an utterly hopeless situation. They're rejected by their homeland who, you know, questions them and, you know wants the Idian, they're constantly chased by the Buff Clan, and it's like, you just really get this sense of utter hopelessness. These people are just doomed no matter what they try. I mean, they just keep fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting and nothing ever gets 
goes downhill steadily towards the end where, you know, by the end of the second movie where they're forced to fight because basically the entire galaxy is surrounded and there's just no way for them to escape and you just, to the very last one, dying, usually pretty brutal deaths and, and you know, in this utterly hopeless situation. So the series does that very well, but you have to put up with a really repetitive first half that has really unlikable characters yeah. and just a lot of repetitive cannon fodder guys who want to come and destroy it, but, you know, get killed by the end of the episode. Oh, pretty much. So You get the jerk off of the week instead of the monster of the week. Excellent. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, <laughs> moving on to the next one, we got a show called uh, Zabungul. Well, well which, actually, before before you before you progress, um, wasn't there another Tamino series beforehand that he actually killed off almost all the characters? Also, yeah, I, I believe that's. I can't uh, remember if it was Zambot Three. Three. Is was it Zambot? Zambot Three. Yeah, that Zambot was uh, the show he did before Gundam. Yeah. Wow. But that was sort so, of yeah. like more traditionally super robot, and it's a it's a pretty silly show, so. I wow. prefer to like start with uh, you know his 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 eighty stuff, which which I which I don't blame you for at all. But I it just yeah, he, he kind of got his feet wet with that one. And yeah, that's where the kill all on where the kill all started. Um, yeah, Zabungal is sort of this uh, comedic show. I only ever saw the first episode and um, really can't comment too much on it. It's kind of yeah, similar to it. Gundam X in some respects. Uh, right. I really can't even remember what the guy the kid's name was who was, you know, the pilot of, of the Mecca. But definitely very uh, different in tone from, from Idion. And I kind of noticed an interesting pattern here, which is that Tamino would alternate very serious shows with very lighthearted shows. Yeah. Uh, he did Idion, which is obviously a very dark show. Follows it up with Zabungal, a very lighthearted show. Right. Then launches into our next topic of discussion, Dunbine. Yes, sir. And then he follows that up with L Game, which is a very comedic show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which he then followed up with Zeta Gundam. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you know, double very Zeta. Different, double Zeta. So I thought that was kind of. An, I don't know if that was deliberate or just something that kind of worked out that way. It just goes to show that he's uh, what's the, what's that term? Um, Manic depressive. He's bi- He's bipolar. Yeah. And he it <laughs> bipolar maybe. <laughs> and it reflects in his production. Speaking of bipolar, um, Dunbine, what, what, what do you guys uh, think overall about uh, you know some of the themes in that show? Oh, everybody, y'all, y'all might as well go get a drink because we're going to be on this one for a while. Um, <laughs> now, Dunbine, I have seen in its entirety. And um, when I watched the show, it was kind of slow going at first. I mean, I, I like the whole, and I, I'm, I'm going to pull another literary reference, the whole um, Yankee and King Arthur's Court. Um, oh routine. That's right. Well, I I would agree with that. That that does apply. There you yeah, go. There you go. With um a man Shozama, and he gets he gets pulled into a situa- alien situation. And I love the um, I, it's the first one. Of the, I think it's the first anime where I ever saw any kind of racial epithets thrown. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, with all the Yankee stuff and Jap and yeah, yeah. exactly. When Todd um Guinness. when when Todd Guinness with Todd Guinness Todd Guinness the pro- named after an awesome beer. Yeah, yep. Todd Guinness the pride of Boston. He's straight yeah. straight out of Southie. He um <laughs> when he's when he's <laughs> when he's running up in um show and decks him in the eye and you know he's just he's just you, you can see that those two are not going to get along even though they have to be on the same side. Set the pace for that show and their rivalry and granted it's not the greatest rivalry but I, I like I like I like the tension between those two. Um, the development of the show was kind of a yo-yo to me. Where you know some episodes it was going places and other episodes would kind of meander, but there's a point in the show where things really step up. Like um, I- I'll stop talking. I'll let Neo 
I'll go into a little bit of his um, impressions on the show, but go ahead. Oh, um, well, I enjoyed the show. Um, I like the fact that Shozama was kind of disinterested throughout the whole um, throughout the whole show. He just seemed kind of exactly. just disinterested with being part of the rebellion, doing this. He just wanted to go home, and and a lot of times, a lot of the people were just trying, kind of driving him insane. Exactly, and. Uh, it had some great characters. I like Bam Bunnings, uh, especially when he became the Dark Knight, uh, or the Black Knight. I'm sorry, not the Dark Knight. What about the What about the baddest man in the dress? Baddest man in the dress. Shot weapon. Shot weapon. Can't mess with that name. Um, <laughs> I I, uh, I definitely like um, the incorporation of kind of the fantasy genre into the mech. I thought that was really cool. Um, you know, the the mechs were really kind of neat. I mean. the the as the Dunbine is like you know the the major title suit, but mm-hmm. I still think to me the best suit was the uh, Billbine. Really? Yeah, the Billbine yeah. was cool. The Billbine because it transformed. I had a soft heart for the Donnie O'Shea, the, the, the ultimate grunt man. <laughs> but um, yeah, it it was it was a great it was a great kind of roller coaster ride. Um, you could definitely see that it he wanted to go one way at the beginning, and he definitely made a turn in the end um and talk about one of your shocking ends yes uh kind of like in um Ideon where um kind of no one makes it back <laughs> <laughs> except for Chumfrau what's up oh yeah Chumfrau and then and and she and she what she reappears under a pseudonym in L game <laughs> oh man Pretty but much. Um, I, speaking of deaths I have to say one of the coldest deaths I've ever witnessed isn't Dunbine when um what's her name um the daughter of Drake Luft um, Emily. 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 Oh. Shot in the face by her own mother. Oh, gets shot by her mom. Exactly. Shot square in the dome by her mother. No hesitation. And you you could see it coming. They foreshadowed it earlier on in the series that, you know, if pushed, her mother would kill her in a in a heartbeat for her own survival or, you know, just just, just to cut all ties. But to, to to actually see it happen was so shocking. And then after that, um, what's his name? Um the my friend uh, Neil Gibbons, um, Lucky Lucky Charms himself. Um, he, oh, um, <laughs> he um he got his sweet revenge. I mean that that pretty much set him over the edge. But uh, yeah, to see her to see her execution like that was a, was 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 really shocking. Granted, uh, granted, um, Ideon, notwithstanding, <laughs> that yeah. was that was some cold stuff. It was, and it shocked me because I saw Dunbine before Ideon and. One of the things I really liked about Dunbine, even though there were some episodes that dragged in the middle, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Bison Well was this, you really got this well-created world that was, you know, not just like a medieval stand-in for Earth, but a very unique world that was alive on its own. Yeah. Exactly. Definitely. And I th- I thought that, um, you know, the war got really intense once they switched it to Earth because one of the side effects is that, you know, the aura power is much more devastating on Earth. So, yep. like, a single shot from an aura battler can destroy an entire city on Earth or something. See a Paris. And it just winds up to this apocalyptic battle where the stakes keep going up and up and up, and everybody's dying, and to the point where, you know, the very end when uh, Sho and... Uh, ben Burnings. Burn Burnings. Yep. They just jump out of their battered mecha and stab each other with swords in midair. Yeah. <sighs> Which I thought was just amazing. It, it really stepped up throughout the entire last battle. I, I mean, I even like when they foreshadowed the fact that they would get to that point when Galeria and um, Show yeah. go to Earth for a short period, and you know, Galeria, Galeria doesn't make it back because you know her aura power just you know over over explodes when um when she, she they're trying to transition back to Bison Well, which I was really sad to see her go because I thought her character could have you know 
could have had more play time on the screen, especially given her um her kind of uh, tumultuous past but yeah. for a family. But uh, that was a really cool foreshadowing, and I like the fact that Sho as a character, he had everything he wanted in on Earth. He yeah. got sent to Bison Well. Well, I mean, granted, his his his, fam- his family was rich and affluent. I wouldn't say ultimately rich, but you know, they had money. Well to do. Yeah, well to do. He was kind of a spoiled child, but you know, he was he was well centered regardless. And, you know, he gets sent to Bison Well and he's given the same kind of luxuries. Granted he has to be, you know, in servitude to Drake Luft. And, you know, he becomes, you know, he's he's not the type of character you see as the lead in a show, but he's still, you know, he's 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 still you know, he's he's still held the his position in the show very well. I, I I like his character a lot, and I guess one of the few people to like uh, Marvel Frozen too. I don't know about Neo, but I, go ahead. I was glad when she died. Dang. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's 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 a lot right. of hate, man. But <laughs> anyway, uh, since we got a couple of more shows to cover, um, yes. Next entry is L Games. So if you guys uh, check that show out. Yes, I watched the first ten episodes and I liked what I saw. I have to, um, I have to watch the rest. I went all the way half through, and then the copy I have is it started screwing up on like three of the episodes. So, oh, that's a shame. Well, I did finish off the show. So, uh, briefly, one of the things that I liked about this show was that uh, the protagonist Dabba Myrode, mm-hmm. he's this pretty upbeat guy, which is kind of surprising if you find out his his background, which is that he's part of this royal family. Um, yeah, that you know was destroyed and he's like one of the last survivors and he's just sort of like out wandering with uh, his wise Alec friend yeah whose name I forget and they get caught up in this whole um, you know interstellar thing with um, this mysterious guy Amandara Commandera and you know fighting against um, the portis and one of the things I liked about this show is that um you know, Dunbine had uh, the loser nemesis, Barn Barnings, the proto-Jared. Right. And then um, <laughs> in L-Game, you also have another loser nemesis, uh, Gavlet Gable, who is really annoying and really gets on your nerves for most of the show yeah. because he's there so much. Unlike a lot of other Tamino shows where, like, you know, antagonists, like, will go away for, like, ten episodes and then he comes back. This guy's pretty much there the whole time. But what's interesting about him is at the end of the show – he actually switches sides and becomes a good guy. Wow. Yeah. Which is very unlike, you know, where the you know, the way a loser nemesis is supposed to go. So, um definitely one of the best parts about the show, which also kinda dragged on in some parts, is that you have this interstellar scope here where you have these four planets that are ruled by the mysterious immortal uh Old Poseidon and I don't want to spoil anything, but what you find out about Poseidon is very different from, you know, the image that's projected out for most of the series and uh, has kind of a pretty bittersweet ending. Oh, wow. Is that the woman that they always show in the opening at the end? Yeah. Yeah, the the woman who's kind of ethereal looking. Yeah. And, like, always, like, in a shade of blue. Very much so. That's it. That's exactly who I was thinking of. Yeah, totally. When you find out the, you know, what's really going on there, it's not anything of, of what it seems. So what did you think from at least what you saw, um, Paul? I enjoyed it. Like you said, um, the, the the characters were, you know, especially the main character, he was a lot more um, a lot more enjoyable. He was a lot more upbeat. Um, I definitely saw, you know, I, until you really noticed, until you said it while we were talking about this, I, I hadn't really noticed the whole thing. It seems like he just goes from a serious to a to a more uh, comedic-driven um, show. But 
I thought it was a good show. I know a lot of people consider it probably one of his best shows, um, uh, you know, outside of Zeta Gundam. And uh, once I can get a decent copy that doesn't start screwing up around episode <laughs> 26 uh, for like the next four episodes, uh, it just pixelates from hell. Yeah. And it's just, it's really, I can't deal with that. But um, Just another note to Sunrise and Bandai, bring it here yeah. so we don't have to look at it. <laughs> but, um, no, that, that ain't going to happen. That ain't going to happen. No, nah, it's yeah, not yeah, going to happen I, at I all. I might as well keep dreaming. But um, no, definitely something that people should check out. Um, but uh, I, I'd i probably say it is up there with one. It's of, definitely a, a, a solid show. So From what I saw, probably one of his best works. Uh, next, we're going to jump into the 90s, and we're not going to bother mentioning Garcy's Wing because I never saw it, and it's just a dunbine related story and most people say it's a piece of crap so we'll just leave oh. it at that and go with the majority opinion mm-hmm. um so we'll come back now to um brain powered which was uh the first tv show he directed after victory gundam so you guys check out uh brain powered before yes yeah, i read, I read the manga i never got to see the anime so but, but tv shows pretty much exactly the same really yeah. oh, okay pretty much the same yeah we're um with the main character's parents uh we're kind of on the opposite side they were the ones behind the invasion i guess or they're part of the invasion uh, from the uh, from inside the earth i guess it was kind of the opposite of your normal invasion from outer space, it was came from inside the planet itself, mm-hmm. right? And uh, like, yeah, yeah, and this this mysterious orphan thing. Yeah, yeah. and personally, uh, I found this series to just be really, really, really confusing. I mean, it starts off. There's a two-year time skip in the middle yeah. of the episode during the break. Um, there's a bunch of stuff introduced. You know, you hear all this stuff about wow. you know orphans and orphan and grand shares and antibodies and you know it's like all this junk is just thrown out at you and it's never explained yeah you're watching the first episode and you feel like you're watching the middle of a show <laughs> what yeah oh it's even it's even harder to follow than the beginning of Gasarak. yeah it, it is a big stab at the kind of evangelion type show where it kind of has like a bunch Maybe, of mystery in it, yeah. which which I don't understand. Bunch of mystery, but it's never explained. And yeah. there's a lot of Taminoisms. You know, there's there's a masked woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of things that just inexplicably happen. You know, there's parent-child issues. Uh, you know, one of the main characters is Yuasami, who yeah. his parents they're both the scientists that are in charge of Orphan, which is this strange thing in the ocean, and. The series gets a little bit better as it progresses, but then by the time it ends, wow. yeah. it's like, I mean, it's not better than the sum of its parts. You know, you he's a pretty interesting character, and the romance between him and Hime is pretty well developed. Yeah, you know, as far as Tamina romances go, I think it's one of his his better attempts. Um, it's got a really nice soundtrack by Yoko Kano. Yeah, that, that's the best part of the show to me. I'd have to say <laughs> uh, from from the little I've seen of it. But um, and uh, is a lot of the staff from Brain Powered went on, including voice actors, um, yep. Yoko Kano, other people would immediately follow Tamino into Tur- uh, turning under the next year. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've noticed he. That's another thing. He he tends to reuse a, a lot of the same staff, which I think is smart in consecutive shows. Yeah. If if you uh, look at the voice shows, like you'll see in, uh, you know, a lot of people from Gundam in Idian, and then a lot of people from. Yeah. Dunbine in L game and Zeta. So he kind of, you know, picks people that he likes, he uses them again. Like for example, uh, the voice actors who plays Hime shows up again in turn A as um as Soshi and um one of the orphan pilots what was her name? Um oh, I forgot. Yeah, shows up as in Laurent. Laurent. 
Yeah, exactly. And then, of course, you got Yoko Kano coming over. So that's another interesting trend of his that he, you know, picks certain staff members, whether it's musicians or voice actors that I guess he likes to work with and uses them in his, you know, subsequent projects. But um, overall, I think Brain Powered, it's a show that's worth watching to say you've seen it, but, you know, just the way it's structured, I think Tamino just really did that show a disservice by making it too mystical yeah. and too obtuse. Yeah, I got I got com- I got completely lost in it. I saw like the first 10 episodes on the on demand channel here and uh <laughs> I was watching it and and I was trying to keep going and I I finally just kind of gave up mainly cuz I think they took it off or I lost track, but I was I agree with you with the Taminoisms. They were there um there are good. I could see some good parts to it, but it was. I did get pretty lost and uh, very quickly. Yeah, the good parts never really developed to what they could have been. So yeah, it's it's an unfortunate that it's unfortunate that the show uh, turned out that way. I still want my degree um, in Tomino, so I'm out the out the watch the copy of it I have on the shelf here. You, you'll have to queue it up. Yeah, it's there's a complete collection out there, so it's it's pretty cheap these days. But um, we got it here, right here on the shelf here. I have to, I have to, I have to pop it in sometime and just blow through it, just to, just to, just to experience it, and then watch um, some other Tamino shows too, I guess. And on that note, let's let's move along to something much better, which is full of dancing mecha. And you know, you know what I'm talking about. Yes, I do. Overman King Gainer. Oh, <laughs> and I've only seen half the show, but um, I think I, I, from watching it, I like the upbeat feel of it. Mm-hmm. Granted, there are some there's there's some high stress situations, but. I, 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 I'm overall impressed. I, I think he, um, after doing Turn A Gundam, where, you know, he had a much more, centri- much more, you know, controlled story and, you know, a much better developed story. He, he was on a roll, so he did Overman King Gainer and used some of the same um, kind of staff members um, from, from to carried over a lot of people from Turn A yep. to Overman King Gainer. Akiman and another Capcom Aki artist. Um, I forget her name, but um, she she um, but anyway, she she was uh, did the character art for um King Gainer and some of the same voice actors, but for the most part, uh, King Gainer is a fun show. I like the whole Exodus plot where they're um trying to get to Japan, which we all know is Japan. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it was pretty neat. Um. And you know it's it's somewhat predictable, but at the same time, the thing that really impresses me about the show is not only the fight scenes with the mecha, but the fight scenes and the choreography with the characters. Yeah. Watch that show, and you see any fight scenes, any melee scenes where you know, um, what's his name? Uh, Gain is fighting someone, or, or even uh, Miss Adette is fighting somebody. It's really well done. It's it's incredible, and I love Miss Adette. <laughs> yeah. She's like the blonde Chun Li, but we'll leave it at that. I I. I <laughs> <laughs> I guess we will leave it at that. But no, no, but no. You can, you can. Uh, what were your, what were your thoughts on the show? Personally, I, I really liked it. It was a really fun show. You know, it doesn't really take it. It doesn't take itself seriously at all. Yeah. Right. I mean, you got all these characters who were just bizarre, but in an interesting way. <laughs> uh, you've got this world that's really weird. That's you know this frozen tundra in Siberia, and everybody lives in these domes. And committing exodus is this you know crime where all these people are trying to get to this paradise, which is Japan, and um, exactly. they're being chased by the Siberian Railroad. So, yeah, it sort of has for a lot of, you know, for the first half of the show, there's sort of like that monster of the week formula. A new overman shows up and, and uh, you know, Gainer fights it. But it just has all these really interesting characters that are all very colorful, whether it's, you know, the princess with her three squirrels. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Or... Um, 
you know, uh, and her, you know, tutor to, you know, gain the uh, Exodus expert who's kind of mysterious, you know, Sarah that uh, Gaynor kind of has a, a thing for, and even, you know, Adet Kistler who starts off as, you know, an enemy pilot but then turns into the, you know, Gaynor's teacher. Exactly. Slash mm-hmm. live-in roommate. And sleeps naked. And <laughs> sleeps naked. And you certainly know that Tamino's having fun when, you know, you get that episode where she ends up in this, like, uh, relay race with Sarah. Yeah. And then at the end, she only wins in a photo finish because her breasts are so much larger. And that's why she wins the race. A win I can't dispute. <laughs> Me neither. But I just like that the show doesn't take itself seriously at all. And, you know... It has some common elements from any mecha show, you know, Accidental Teenage Pilot, you know, Monsters of the Week, but it's just really done in a fresh way. Yeah, exactly. In a way that you can sit back and laugh and enjoy yourself and you know, just have fun with. What, what about you, Paul? I saw the first five episodes, so I don't know too, too much about it, but I, I did like, I like shows like that that don't take themselves too seriously, uh, that they, you know, basically, um, they're just there to have fun. And, you know, the, it, it seemed it seemed that he kind of I, I know everybody's always saying that Tamino is like a depressed guy and all this stuff. But it seems here this is where maybe he got things in his life straight and he was just happy with life. It's, it kind of kind of had that uh, a little bit better feeling than um, Turn A did. And Turn A was a good feeling show. Yeah. Uh, but um, I definitely need to check this out because I do like I you know, I, I like Mecca shows that. um don't take themselves too seriously a lot of times and it's just a fun ride and you know it's just done really well with you know a good story in it so exactly and uh the last stop on our our tour of tamino for the moment at least is uh wings of rian which is um boo a dunbine <laughs> oav so did you guys you guys check that out oh i saw the first episode and i'm oh, afraid yeah. to oh yeah um my my thoughts yeah where where exactly do you start it it was just so convoluted and it, it's it, the classic case of F91 where you have the whole story in the novel and you couldn't you couldn't fit it all in the amount of time given in an OVA or a movie situation I and guess. so it becomes scatterbrained and it becomes very disjointed and uh, unstructured and no, well the thing you know is what? the thing F- is the thing is about um, Wings of Rian there is a novel called Wings of Rian but it's a totally different mm-hmm. story yeah, it's not the same story. It's not the same and story. I, I, just, I just don't know why he didn't adapt that, but I guess the original novel didn't have mech, didn't have any aura battlers in it, and I it took know. place in World War II, or at least it started off that way with a World War II ace or something like that. Yeah, there's a World War II ace who ends up in Bystonwell, and he becomes the emperor, Wow! and now he's planning to conquer Earth. But um, that's that's Wings of Rian, the, the anime version. But the thing about the first episode is... It's just this really confusing yeah. mishmash of just a bunch of junk because yeah. the main character, ASAP, um, he's got these friends who are sort of like anti-American and they're like doing this like attack on this American military base. I guess, you know, sort of like a prank or something. But things start going out of control and they're being chased around the base by the American military and then suddenly out of nowhere these like Bison Well battleships start flying out and you know everybody starts shooting at each other and ASAP and all these guys are running around, and everybody's chasing each other and it's just what the hell is going on here? Visuals look good, but the visuals were great, but it's just such a it made no sense. Such a mess and yeah. The way the first episode ends, it's like it doesn't end in a way that really encourages you to want to watch no. more. 
and I and it basically encouraged me not to watch it. Yeah, me too. Because it was just like uh, at least with at least with F nine one, there was some semblance of you could understand what was going on yeah even though that was like an original it's supposed to be like what a 50 episode show yeah and they put it into like a two-hour movie the wings like you like chris said i mean you see these kids you don't really know much about them they start going around they're running and then the ships show up and everybody just starts attacking each other no and explanation no, no sense nothing? huh no explanation as to why they showed up just, just no they're, they're they just, just show they up just, at least not in the first episode no. so basically as far as you know i see it for a director who's as experienced as Tamino, you know, to put together such a sloppy thing is really disappointing for someone who's such a veteran like like he is, you know, with 40 years of experience in the industry. Yeah. So I don't know if where his heart was in this project. Eventually I'll have to watch, you know, the rest of the show once those expensive Bandai Visual DVDs are in the bargain bin. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Or, or, I don't plan on paying like 40 or 50 bucks no. for each two-episode DVD. No. The show when it did so little to catch my interest. So, oh, exactly. as a Dunbine fan, I was really looking forward to you know something set in the Dunbine universe. But then when I saw what I saw, it's like it really turned me off. So I don't know if he was just being lazy with this or what. But from the first episode, especially with a show that's only six episodes, you have so little time to you know make an impression and get your point across. You can make a misstep on the first episode of a 50-episode show and recover. Yeah. yeah. But when the first episode is one-sixth of your entire show, yeah. <laughs> you really got to use that time more wisely and, and you know... Because it, it did nothing. Tell a different story. It did nothing yeah. for the story. Nothing happens. Nothing, nothing happens. happens. I mean, just stuff happens, mm-hmm. but not to want you to watch it well um chris just out of curiosity what did you give it on um mahq just overall that series i probably would have gave it like a one and a half oh i i didn't even i didn't even review it it's being reviewed by uh brian shay oh oh wow then it, well, and he hasn't he hasn't touched wings of Regan. i don't know if he is he's uh <laughs> he's busy with yeah. gasaraki right now so yeah by the way a big exclusive announcement and i've been talking for years about doing um gasaraki but i'm just so busy that there's just no way I can review that show with all the other stuff I have to do, so I decided to hand it off to Brian, so he's working on uh, reviews for Gasaraki. Oh, nice. Coming soon to MHQ. It's nice to see that show being reviewed. Uh, I, I'd yeah. like to get more insight on that show, so I'll definitely read Interesting those. to see what he'll have to, to say on it, but um, yeah, overall, the first episode, and I saw it you know, years ago, I would give just the first episode like a 2 out of 5. Yeah, oh. it, was, it was pretty rough. I mean. Yeah, really rough and disappointing, not just as an anime, but also as a Dunbine yeah. anime. So that hurts. Really not something I would recommend going off the first episode. I'd have to see more for a final judgment, but the first episode doesn't do much. So for now, that's pretty much the end of Super Tamina Wars because, you know, he followed this up with uh, the Zeta movies. And for right now, he's been pretty quiet. I mean, he's been doing a lot of Gundam appearances at events with, uh, you know, Gact and, you know, some voice actors. So we don't know what he's up to. He's pretty much indicated that he's done with Gundam. But No, I just would like to add one last thing. Tamino, to me, is a fantastic author. And after reading um, his the one Gundam novel that was brought here, the Awakening Escalation and Confrontation novel, I like to read his books on Bistonwell if they ever get translated. dare take a chance to bring him here. Because I'm pretty sure it's a pretty rich universe, and it's they're probably enjoyable reads, and I, I hope one day I get to read them because yeah, I mean, he prides himself as a novelist, so I, I, I'll take him at his word and hopefully get to read some of his works someday. Yeah, so, so overall, I would say um, Tamino is one of my – he's one of my favorite 
anime directors. I would not say the favorite because I don't even know if if there is one that I can name as my favorite. There's a lot of directors that I like, but um, you know, there's a lot of varied opinions on him. Some people think he's absolute crap with, and some other people think that he's the greatest director ever, which I also don't agree with. So I think he's he's got a lot of talents. Sometimes. Um, you know, the stuff that he produces can be a little murky at parts, whether it's on character or plot development. But he also has a lot of talents that he excels at. And, you know, let's face it, he created the best-known anime series ever. Yeah. And the biggest anime franchise ever. So, you know, who, you know, even if he doesn't create every great series, you know, he created a great franchise that lasted for a long time. So you could sort of equate him as you know, sort of like a Gene Roddenberry or a George Lucas. They weren't the best, you know, writers or directors or whatever, but they created a universe with a lot of big ideas and a big sandbox for other people to play in. Exactly. Yeah. So I think in the end, that's probably, you know, one of the best things you can say about Tamino. Any final thoughts on Tamino as a whole, Paul? Yeah, um, I, I'd probably agree with you on the on the same aspect. Uh, I don't think he's my favorite. I don't, th- I don't because I really don't know who my favorite would be either, to be honest with you, because there's so many good shows out there. Um, uh, it is nice, like you said, he did, he is responsible for one of the biggest uh, franchises ever in the anime industry. Uh, but what I think what kind of sets him apart from other people and these other directors is that he had great successes with other shows that were completely different than what Gundam was. Yeah. And uh, I think that's really his strength and you know i think that's you know the day that comes when um you know tamino passes uh it's going to probably be a really sad day in japan and i'm sure a sad day all across the world with all the people that watched a lot of these shows because uh he's he's not only influenced people as uh, anime watchers and storytellers but he's you know influenced direction um, you know the direction and, and how to create a lot of these different shows that we see I mean you can there's so many shows that have been done by other people that you can see are definitely influenced by uh, by, Tamino. by mr. Tamino so well he's only in his 60s so he's he's still got a long many years you never know you never but know but uh, yeah so that uh, wraps up our uh, two-part segment on the mind of Tamino and uh, you know we'll probably be discussing a lot of these shows in more detail in future anime spotlights so with that uh, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back on Gundam at MAHQ Hold my hand you kidding me, man? Hold my Gun- damn hand man Hey everybody, this is Chris, and that wraps up another super long episode of Gundam at MAHQ. Sorry, folks. Seems like these things keep getting longer and longer, but we're going to try to work on that uh, in the future. So this episode, we took a brief look at the Megazone 23 franchise as part of the second installment of our anime spotlight. We also took a pretty detailed look at the Gundam Seed franchise and some thoughts on where it went wrong and how we could you know, fix it if we were in charge, which obviously we're not. <laughs> and then uh, we wrapped up with our second part into the mind of Yoshiki Tamino, Super Tamino Wars Part 2, taking a look at all of his non-Gundam shows. So before we close, I'd um, just like to, as always, thank all of uh, our listeners, who, whether they um, 
you know, just listen to the podcast or they post on Mecha Talk who are constantly giving us feedback. I would have never thought that uh, so many people would pick up Votomes just from, you know, our recommendation of it. So I'm glad that people are listening and that they're experiencing <laughs> new anime exactly. and seeing new things. So that's what we're here to do. And do we want to tease anybody on uh, topics for next episode? Have we even thought about next episode yet? I don't think we have. I don't think so. I think it's a blank yeah. slate for now. But um, Then we'll tease you with nothing. Yes. <laughs> Something will be mech related. There's a lot of great suggestions on the board right now for um, next topic. So we actually will probably pull from some of those yes. for the next episode. Just, um, just, just to let the listeners um, be more of a part of the show. I, I think that's a great idea, actually. But um, we'll definitely um, have more information on the on the on the forums at mechatalk.net, and also always check out mahq.net. Um, that's the main uh, our, our main launch site for um, Gundam at MAHQ, of course. There's also the MySpace site, which is myspace.com/gundamtheshow. And of course, you can find us on um, you can find us on Pod Show, which is where our MP uh, the uh, episodes are posted for um, Gundam, and also and, on iTunes, and also on iTunes, and just search for Gundam on iTunes, and you'll find us there. Reach us by email also at GundamMahQ at gmail dot com. That that does it for us. So uh, say goodbye, guys. See you later, folks, and thank you for all the feedback on on the forums, and uh, keep it coming. Please keep it coming. It's much appreciated. And that's a wrap, and we'll uh, see you guys next time. I'm glad it's you who's giving me a ride. The way I feel right now, it would be too easy to get shot down out there. You shouldn't be hesitant at all. You're the only one with the qualifications to lead the AU right now. I don't even know where my own future lies. If you think I can do this job... The masses always like to have a hero to look up to. You're asking me to play the part of a clown here. I'm just saying that it's your turn to take center stage. We're still acting out the same old script. Gun at MAHQ is a Shinjuku station and MAHQ production.